Um, guys, uh, on October 16th of 1866, which was a long time ago, Charles Spurgeon preached a sermon on Psalm 23. And he started out with a phrase that I really would like to start with. And he said, I cannot, capital letters, say anything new that is upon this text. And this psalm is so common amongst people who know God's word, um, across people who don't know God's word, that I wonder how many people, men and women, have started out talking about Psalm 23 with that same sentiment. There's really nothing new that I can add to it, but it is such a sweet and rich poem, and it's beloved, much beloved, for a reason. I don't have anything new to add, but my hope is that I'll bring it a little bit into relevance for us today. So I hope I can do that for you. But let's go ahead and pray. Father, I just thank you and praise you for the opportunity to study your word. And I pray, Father, that you will be faithful, that the Holy Spirit will illuminate the truth that we have before us. Lord, help me to speak truth, and I pray, Father, that if I speak anything that is harmful or untrue, you will block it from their mind and from their ears. Help me, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. When Spurgeon did preach that sermon 156 years ago, he used one illustration and then applied it to his main concern for the English church at that time. He was making a point in his Sunday address that sheep must have a particular taste for good and holy things. He begins his illustration like this. So listen, Mr. Roland Hill had a man in his church who used to go to theaters. And when Mr. Hill questioned him as to how he could make a Christian profession and yet frequent such places... Exactly. Um, You did hear that. So how could a man in his church go to the theaters? I wish that was my main concern for the church today. (laughs) So going further in his sermon, Spurgeon concludes with his main concern and his great warning for his people. Now, this is going to be tricky, Spurgeon's language, and I'm going to use the word twice, Popery, and that is not the dried flowers that are fragrant. It's the actual Pope, you know, Roman Catholicism. So just try to hang with me for a second. I venture to prophesy that within 10 years from this date, the whole of this country will be permeated by Popery. The advance that Romanism has made during the last 10 years is so terrible that if it continues to increase at only half that rate, my prophecy will prove to be a true one. The very name of Protestantism will die out unless God sends us a revival of evangelical religion, for the fashion of the age is so set towards that which is gaudy and sensuous and sensational, and the whole trend of ecclesiasticism is so directly towards ceremonialism that if we who love the old faith do not bestir ourselves, we and our fellow countrymen will plunge into the Stygian bog of popish superstition. So his language might be a little difficult to follow, but let me just be clear. He had very strong language for his people about the rise of Roman Catholicism in England at that time. It kind of sounds strange to me as I read it, Because sometimes I feel like my closest allies in frame of mind are not just Catholics, 
but Jews and sometimes even unbelieving homosexual podcast personalities. Could the Prince of Preachers ever have imagined that the Western world would be under siege by the rainbow-hued pagan religion of self-identity? Maybe he was right. Maybe he was beginning to see what, was ta- what has taken hold of our culture today. He only thought his world was set on things that were gaudy, sensuous, and sensational. Ours certainly is. Believe me, you'd be better served to read Spurgeon's sermon than listening to me today. His words are just as relevant today as they were then, only his illustrations feel slightly out of date. His words are grounded in the truth of God's word, and God is never out of date. Our psalm begins with, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. According to the NIV, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Every word that follows this verse affirms it. This is the fountain that all the others flow from. The Lord is our shepherd, and because of that, we shall lack nothing. I'm going to spend the next few minutes considering when the Lord is our shepherd and how we as sheep who tend to respond as stubborn, high-minded people, and finally, how we should respond. So... When is the Lord our shepherd? Are there any exceptions? Psalm 23 tells us that he makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside the quiet waters. If you work through all of your homework, you know that I read the little book entitled, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Uh, It is such a sweet book. It gives such beautiful insight into the relationship between a shepherd and his flock and I recommend it, reading it just for pleasure. You, good beach read. It's really lovely. While verse 2 may seem so simple that we might want to gloss over it, the author, Philip Keller, says that is not true at all. So listen as I quote him. The strange thing about sheep is that because of their very makeup, it is almost impossible for them to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. Owing to their timidity, they refuse to lie down unless they are free of all fear. Because of the social behavior within a flock, sheep will not lie down unless they are free from friction with others in the flock. If tormented by flies or parasites, sheep will not lie down. Only when they are free from these pests can they relax. Lastly, sheep will not lie down as long as they feel in need of finding food. They must be free from hunger. It all depends on the diligence of the owner, whether or not his flock is free of disturbing influences. So sheep need to be free from fear of predators, free from friction with other sheep, free from pests, and free from hunger, just to be able to lie down in those green pastures. They can only relax when they know their shepherd has provided generously for them. When they know his love and sense his security, only then can they lie down and rest. Are you sleeping well? Your shepherd did that. Are you in fairly good health? Free from a constant barrage of doctor's appointments? Your shepherd did that. Are you or your spouse employed or at least enjoying some type of income? Your shepherd did that. Are some or maybe all of your children in good health and provided for? Your shepherd did that. Do you have food in your kitchen or money to stop by the grocery store? Your shepherd did that. Do you have $50 in your bank account, gas in your car, clothes on your back, a roof over your head. Your shepherd did that. 
All of these, plus countless more, are the green pastures and still waters of our lives. Consider what the Lord has had to orchestrate across the entire world for who knows how many years to position you in such a wide place where you are free from pestilence, free from enemy, free from friction, free from hunger. I look around this room and see people well cared for with so much free time they can think and study and gather. Just a few weeks ago during our missions conference, Will Savelle shared about his work in Africa. In order to invite pastors to train adequately for the ministry, they needed to provide their monthly income for five months to free them of the energy and time that they expend daily just to stay alive. Their monthly salary is just $50. It is no small thing to enjoy green pastures and still waters. The Lord is our shepherd in quiet times of peace. But the Lord is our shepherd as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Philip Keller likens verse 4, the turning point of this little psalm, to the drives of the herd, to the mountain meadows for the summer, and the drives toward home once autumn has passed. These drives are dangerous for the flock, requiring great alertness and preparation for the shepherd. Wild mountains, rushing rivers, alpine meadows, high rangelands, rampaging rivers and floods, rock slides, poisonous plants, the ravages of predators that raid the flock, or the awesome storms of sleet and hail and snow. All of these would have been familiar to a shepherd like David. He would have known this type of terrain, including all the difficulties, dangers, and delights of the treks into the high country. But it is important to remember that the shepherd is the one that drives them through the valleys for their good and for their blessing. Keller says, during this time, the flock is entirely alone with the shepherd. They are in intimate contact with him and under his most personal attention day and night. The psalmist also says in verse 4, you are with me. A few weeks ago, Doreen referred to night seasons in her lesson The Lord is our shepherd, even in the night seasons. Are you experiencing financial uncertainties today? Stretched incomes that feel like they might burst under rising grocery costs, college tuitions, soaring utility bills, depleted savings accounts. The Lord is your shepherd here. Are you facing the frailty of a broken body? Suddenly what seemed so easy last year is now a task of monumental energy. Doctor's visits and prescription refills occupy your calendar when you expected to be resting or traveling or simply lunching with friends. The Lord is your shepherd here. Are you feeling the darkness of loneliness that threatens to overwhelm? An empty hand, a singular place at the table, no one to argue with over the thermostat, the darkness of facing uncertainty alone. The Lord is your shepherd here. Are you or someone you love captivated by the pride of the rainbow flag that promises freedom and acceptance, but actually binds up in bodily mutilation and forsaking the natural family? The Lord is your shepherd here. Are you living a half-life of grieving a lost loved one? Are you carrying the burden for wandering children? Are you rebuilding a life after the betrayal of the one who pledged to love you best? The Lord is your shepherd here. On top of all of these dark valleys we may face personally, together we face dark valleys on top of these as American believers and even Memphians. Political divides, 
sexual licentiousness, men becoming women, rising crime, threats of nuclear war, a government that seems driven to destroy the governed. We feel darkness pressing in all around. Derek Kidner says in his Psalms commentary, the dark valley or ravine is as truly one of his right paths as the green pastures, a fact that takes much of the sting out of any ordeal. And his presence overcomes the worst thing that remains, the fear. How much time do you spend worrying about how you got yourself into these dark valleys? Or how much, or how you actually get yourself out of them? Think for a moment. How much can you really do about politics and the sexual revolution? How much control do you really have about your adult children's decisions? We should be active and engage, speaking truth. But remember that just as the shepherd drives the herd, his herd through the ravines, so our Lord leads us through the darkness. It is his right path. The Lord is our shepherd, even here, the darkest of valleys, just like the greenest of pastures. All right, so how are the sheep to respond? I want to start with how we often respond and then finish with how we should. All right, so one good thing we have today, maybe, that Spurgeon did not is GIFs. When studying Psalm 23, how many of you, and I shared it with the leaders, recalled and then rewatched the gif of the sheep that gets stuck in the trench? Do y'all know that one? Everybody's seen it. It's really funny. It makes me laugh every time. And in preparing for this, I've probably watched it 20 times and I still laugh. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you must go look it up today. It's a quick video of a boy who is uh, gently pulling the hind leg of a sheep that has gotten itself stuck in a narrow trench face down. And he's pulling, and he's pulling, and he's pulling. And as soon as he frees the sheep, the happy animal bounds away, only to dive back into the same trench about 10 yards away. (laughs) You know we are that sheep. Whether we are in the greenest pasture or the darkest valley, we are still headstrong creatures that get our heads stuck in trenches. How do you respond to your shepherd when you are enjoying a time of rest and peace? Are you close to him? Diligent in your prayer life, praising him night and day, full of thanksgiving? Or maybe you find your mind wandering and your prayer life languishing, your calendar filling up with anything but his means of grace. Maybe, I don't know where I would get this, your head starts swelling with thoughts of, look what I've done to accomplish all this. I'm such a good friend. That's why I'm so loved. I'm such a good parent. That's why my kids are so good. I'm such a good wife. That's why my husband is so kind. As silly as it would be for a sheep to say to his shepherd, I got this, I'm good now. It's just as silly for us to allow our thoughts to wander here thinking we had anything to do with those green pastures of peace. We love to take credit for them. We wander, forget our shepherd, and get our heads stuck in trenches even there. But all the glory should be given to the Lord in thanksgiving. What about in valleys? How do we respond in these valleys shadowed by death? Before I share a personal nugget, I want to make it very clear. My husband has taken generously generous care of me for 26 years now, so I can't have you walking away and thinking bad thoughts of Ken. But when I was an impressionable adolescent, my family experienced significant changes in our circumstances. Since then, 
my fear of financial insecurity has always been one of my weak spots. I am happy to tell you more about that. If you ever want to chat about it or ask questions, you are welcome. But just know that I have lived with a fear of the other shoe dropping for a long time. And a year like one that we're enjoying now is not the easiest for me. I hope you're not like that. I am ashamed to say that for many years, I've lived making plans in my own mind of how I was going to work things out and shoulder some new responsibilities to avoid any type of financial uncertainty and humiliation that felt even closely like my childhood. But I can proudly tell you that not one, not one of my schemes has ever worked out the way I planned. I stand before you clothed, fed, housed, loved, children well cared for, provided for far beyond what I could have imagined. My shepherd did that. No plan I can make in my mind can ever get me out of the valley and back to the green pasture. I'm just a sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. I am not. How do you get your head stuck in a trench? Maybe you turn to distractions that fill your mind with ungodly entertainment. Maybe you turn inward, far too introspective and self-pitying, comforting yourself with feelings of sadness. Maybe you lash out at others in resentment and blame. Maybe you you fill your calendar, busying yourself with workouts, projects, volunteering, shopping. Maybe you dive deep into the news of talking heads and political polls. Maybe you waste your hours fretting over every terrible possibility that could come. Maybe you complain incessantly. Maybe you start manipulating the people around you. I really don't know how you get your head stuck in a trench when the darkness threatens. Maybe you make imaginary plans like I do, but stop it. Whatever your plan or mechanism for coping, it will not lead you back to the green pasture. The Lord is our shepherd. We are not. We should not take credit for any good gift that our shepherd has given us, stealing his glory And we should also stop trying to work our way back to the green pasture. It's impossible. So how should we respond? One of my favorite passages to meditate on when fears and anxieties begin is 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I bet you're familiar with this one. But have you ever noticed that this passage begins with, humble yourself? How closely is our pride linked to our fear? It certainly looks like Peter is making a connection between the two. If the Lord is our shepherd, who is our provider, leader, and banquet host, why do we ever think we are able to do more than he is doing for us? A foolish, sinful perspective of considering ourselves grander than we are, stronger and more powerful than he is. We are to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of our shepherd. After all, we are just sheep that get our heads stuck in trenches. We know that the Israelites did it over and over again as they cycled in and out of disasters of disobedience, and so do we. I haven't suffered as David did. He was mocked for his joyful faith, hunted ruthlessly for the sovereign anointing of the Lord. He shouldered the responsibility of God's holy nation with the rich faith of a poet and the strength of a warrior. I am nothing compared to David. I have also not suffered as many as you, many of you have, or as some of you are now. 
Each scenario I've mentioned has come from knowing so many of you intimately in your night seasons. Your fears, your struggles, your anger, your sadness, I see it, I understand. But David did know suffering, and he said, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. God gave his only son to suffer most unrighteously for our behalf, also preserved those words for us. They are eternal. There is no dark valley where they are not true. Humble yourself and fear no evil because the Lord is with us. I have to give a warning, though, here. The Lord is only the shepherd for the sheep. He has one flock. In John 10, 27, we find Jesus' words, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Have you been called by the shepherd? Do you know his voice, and are you following him? You must make certain, or you must know that this psalm is not for you. Only the flock becomes the invited guest at the table. Otherwise, you are the captive enemy looking on the celebratory banquet. Fellow sheep, we know that the Lord is our shepherd in quiet times of green pastures and even in the fearsome times of the dark valleys. We know that it is our tendency to resist his leadership and get our heads stuck in trenches, but the Lord has called us to humble ourselves and not fear. Psalm 23 ends in verse 6 with the words, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Are you certain of that? You should be. How would your life be different if you live knowing that goodness and mercy will pursue you for the length of your days? Conscious that all things work together for good to those that are called. We would probably stop working out our own plans and fear a lot less. Your footing is sure. Your shepherd, who is your friend, is leading. Relax in his care. I promise you cannot do better, only worse. One last question for you. What happens when the darkest days come? What about the darkest valley of all, the valley of death? Even when the day comes for our last breath, there is still comfort for us. Kidner reminds us that our shepherd is still leading us even in that day. Only the Lord can lead man through death. All other guides turn back. And the traveler must go on alone, not ours. Even death has no sting for us. Our shepherd is still there. Our Savior has defeated death on our behalf. A few last words from Kidner. Depth and strength underlie the simplicity of this psalm. Its peace is not escape. Its contentment is not complacency. There is readiness to, to face deep darkness and imminent attack. And the climax reveals a love which homes towards no material goal but to the Lord himself. Psalm 23 proves how actively the Lord is working on our behalf. And it is only because he has provided for us so well that we are able to rest and not fear. The Lord is our shepherd in the greenest of pastures and the darkest of valleys. We can trust him, follow him, and live in the certainty of his care. And one day... We will know that Kidner's words are true. These right paths lead toward nothing but the Lord himself. The Lord is my shepherd. He is all that I want. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that these words are true. Lord, how kind you are. How intimately you know us. May we 
be faithful to gaze upon you, to think about your beautiful, merciful, loving kindness that you have placed upon us, your people. We are so incredibly undeserving, Father, but I pray, dear Lord, that these words will make a difference in how we live our lives. Many of these women are in dark valleys today, Father, and I pray, dear Lord, that you will comfort them, encourage them, and help them, strengthen them for the path that you have. It's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that we pray confidently all of these things. Amen.